This is a podcast of Forest Lake Baptist Church Sermons. If you'd like to know more about our church, visit our Facebook page or our website at flbc.org.au. We hope you're blessed by this message. This week we're going to look at God loves the whole church and then next week God loves the whole world. We're expanding that view. And there's a wonderful passage in Colossians chapter 3 where Paul has been laying out through the first couple of chapters of his letter to the Colossians these wonderful truths of who Jesus is and what he has done and the supremacy of Christ and the uh, that no one comes near him. He is completely above all. And then he says in verse 11 of chapter 3, and the, this reading will be on the screen this morning, here in the church there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave free but Christ is all and in all put on then as God's chosen ones holy and beloved compassionate hearts kindness humility meekness and patience bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you so you also must forgive and above all these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I love the way Paul uh, has this passage here, the way he describes the church. Look at the words he uses. God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And I want to start today with this simple truth. Despite all her faults, God still loves the church. There are times when churches, we have got it really badly wrong, haven't we? We heard that publicly for all the nation to hear, in fact, the world to hear a few years ago in the Royal Commission. And there's no doubt that there are parts of our media that will jump on any news that they can to say that the church is broken and the church is bad. And there are times when we jump up and down and say, leave us alone, where we should probably be saying we're sorry for where we got it wrong. And yet for all the faults, for all the things we get it wrong, for all the, the things we have done wrong, God still loves the church. Which says to me that our God is an incredibly forgiving and gracious God. He loves the church so much that Paul can say uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with washing of water by the word, he did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. God still loves the church. And God is still using the church and using his people and using the body of Christ to tell the world of the goodness of Jesus. And so if God does love the church, what does he want for her? What does he want for us at Forest Lake Baptist Church? And he starts off by saying, if that is true, if we are Christ is all and he is in all and there is no difference and we are all the same, we are all in Jesus and we are chosen, we are holy, we are beloved, then what does he want for us? He says, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience. 
Now, why this is so important and why this is so countercultural is in the days when Paul was writing this passage, writing this letter, it was the days of the Greeks and the Romans for the first time really in Western history starting to formulate ideas of philosophy. And one of the big questions of the day was, what are the virtues that make a human society work? What are the things that mean that we will work together? And it was the idea of ethics started to come. And don't worry, we're not going to go too far into history here, but I think it's important to know the, time, the times when this was written. And so you get guys like Plato and Aristotle and uh, Cicero from uh, Rome start to write of all the virtues that they believed we should have. What are the cardinal virtues, the top virtues? And I've just got a little graphic on the screen here that say, tell you what they thought. If we were to be defined by anything, these are the things that should define us. Wisdom, justice, courage, moderation. Now, they're good things, right? Wisdom's a good thing. Justice is a good thing. Courage and moderation. But what they said was what ultimately defines us as people, what makes us good, ethical, virtuous people is strength, forbearance, justice. You do you boo was basically the Greek idea. What does Paul say makes us the virtues that should typify the Christian Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness. Someone asked, actually asked Aristotle, what about humility? He said, humility isn't a virtue, it's a weakness. See, in the days of Jesus, in the days of Paul, the thought was, if you wanted to be a really good human, then you have strength and you have an inner strength and you find the answer within you. Does that sound familiar to anyone else? The answer, the greatest love of all is inside of you. Thank you, Whitney. Or do we find today that the really the virtues that we should typify a good, a good life now are what? Tolerance. Finding your inner strength, finding your inner self, finding inner, 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 inner. The problem with that idea is this. The more you look in for your meaning and strength, you will be disappointed. What Paul says is this. What defines the Christian is emptying ourselves of ourselves and finding Jesus. So he says, what should define us are compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. And verse 14, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. What does God want to define us as his people? an emptying of ourselves and a care for others. Stanley Hauvas, a Christian ethicist, puts it this way, the moral ideal of our society has been the autonomous, self-sufficient, free person. But the Christian seeks neither autonomy nor independence, but rather to be faithful to the way that manifests the conviction we belong to another. Christians learn to describe their lives as a gift rather than an achievement. What will most 
define us as the people of Christ in this place. It won't be how slick we are. It won't be how professional we are. It will be how much we love one another. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, how you love one another. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. And so the question obviously becomes, well, if that's what you want for us, Lord, if that's how you want your church to be seen in the world, if that's what you want us to be in our virtues, then how are we going to do it? Well, he tells us in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And this is a really difficult phrase. It's the only time this phrase appears in the Bible, word of Christ. What does he mean? Some people have said he's talking about the Bible, but it doesn't say the word of God. It says the word of Christ. Someone else has said that it must mean the words that Christ himself spoke, written for us in the Gospels. Well, that's a good idea too. I actually think it's the third option, which is all the words about Christ. The Gospel message that Jesus emptied himself of everything for us. And that should, should typify us to the world around us. See, it's not just knowing the Bible. There's, there's heaps of people. There's heaps of people in church life who can quote the Bible. It's not about just being able to quote the Bible. I have a family member who walked away from Jesus and church decades ago, and you can still ask him to quote passages of Scripture, and he will quote them off the top of his head. He loves to play musical. Uh, he loves to play music. He's quite a gifted musician. If he's sitting alone on a Sunday afternoon and he's got some time and he wants to play some music, do you know what he still plays? hymns even though he doesn't believe a word they say he knows all of it but he doesn't know it it's one thing to know the words here it's another thing to let the word of christ dwell with conviction and grace so he says, let it dwell in you collectively, richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in the heart. Teaching, admonishing, singing. There's a problem with that verse in today's church. It requires closeness. And if there's one thing that in our Western society we're getting very bad at, it's closeness. For you to admonish me, for you to teach me, in fact, for you to sing with me, we've got to be close. There's something really powerful about going to church and singing together, I think. But I don't think that's just what this is talking about. It's about doing life in such a way that we are, our lives actually sing together and that we admonish one another and when church is a place when we see one someone else doing it a bit tough or going the wrong way we are close enough to each other to say hey 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 come back this way that's so much easier done if we're shoulder to shoulder than calling out across a room isn't it if we're to sing with one another and admonish one another and do life with one another we can't just do it here on a Sunday morning, friends. That's why I asked Ruth to give the shout out to life groups today. 
in reading this passage, it just reminded me we need to do life together closely. That's how we do life. See, church is not a show. Church is a community where we seek to live out the words, the ways, and the works of Jesus. It's not a show. It's not what happens up here. It's how we do life together. He says, whatever you do, when, as you do these things, as you let the word of Christ dwells in you richly and you're singing and admonishing and teaching, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I think at this point, what Paul's doing is, so far he's been talking about what happens when we're gathered together and doing life together. But now I think what he does is he takes it outside the church. Because he says, as we do this well, as, as Melanie just reminded us, when we come together for church and then take it out into the schoolyard and out into the workplace and out into our streets, if we're doing what we do here well, then it will flow out. Because he doesn't say, whatever you do in the church, he says, whatever you do, whatever, do everything. What does that include? Well, everything includes everything. It doesn't just mean what we do here on a Sunday. It means what we do Monday through Saturday matters to Jesus. And if we do what we do here well, then we're all going to be inspired to go on and empowered, equipped to go on from this place to wherever we go through the week. And we're going to see that when I'm on the road and when I get cut off in traffic, I'm doing it in the name of Jesus. So if I'm going to have this, the fish sticker on the back of the car, I better be careful what I, you know, hang out the window sort of thing. I said that I've told you the story years ago that I said that in church one day about this, about if we're going to have the fish sticker on the back of the car, you can't be hanging birds out the window. If you don't know what that means, that's fine. And a man came up to me after the service and said, I was very convicted by what you said today, Mark. I've got a fish sticker on my car and I struggle with road rage. I said, that's great, brother, that you're convicted. What are you going to do about it? He said, I'm going to take the fish sticker off the back of my car. I think you may have missed the point. We don't need to have the fish sticker on our car to wear the name of Christ. If we are Christians, we already wear the fish sticker. And if people in our workplaces know we are Christians, if people in our schools know we're Christians, and people in our families know that we are Christians, we're already wearing the fish sticker. So when we gather as church like this, our, our view as a leadership of this church in putting, in putting this into practice is not just that what we want you to do is walk away from a Sunday morning and go, well, that was awesome. That was great. No, no, we want you to leave this place going, now how am I going to live this out through the week? Because we believe that Monday through Saturday is important to God as Sunday. And we believe that the way we can reach people for Jesus is how we live every day. Churches grapple and wonder and have plans on how are we are going to reach all the people out there who don't know Jesus? And here's the answer. You. You're already rubbing shoulders with them. I'm rubbing shoulders with them. The other morning, Catherine had this really good idea. Let's do something called Six at Six down at the lake. I don't know if you've heard about Six and Six, but it's this fabulous idea of running six kilometers at 6 a.m. After we did it, I thought that seemed very hard today. I looked at the humidity, 93% at 6 a.m. Let me tell you what was what I felt like saying wouldn't have been godly. But even I was amazed at that community of people who gathered down outside Simple Bliss in the car park 
and we ran up up Forest Lake Boulevard till this street out here, Woolgaroo Street. We ran along there, and then down the hill, back to the uh, to the lake. And here's what struck me the most. Different. Some people didn't do the full six; they did five. Some people just went around the lake. No one left the car park until everyone was back. And it didn't matter what journey you took, whether you did six, five, three, two, or just did a, a little lap of life. No one left until everyone was back. They clapped me in as I slid on my own sweat on the ground. It was good that last bit. I could just slide in on the sweat. But there are times, I think, when Christians can be so hurtful for one and to one another. When we can learn for what like what it must be like to clap one another in. When we're hurtful, when we fight over silly, silly things, we are not doing everything in the name of Christ. But when we clap one another in, that's when I think we are doing things in the name of Christ. Church is the place where we clap one another along. Let's keep going for Jesus. And so Paul says, when we start to do this, we will be giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do you notice that's twice in the passage, verse 15 and verse 17? Verse 15, be thankful. Verse 17, giving thanks to the Father through him. Why? Why is that the case? Because ultimately, you could hear this passage and think, oh, this is just a list of things that God wants me to do to earn his favor. No, we do these things because we are already loved by God. And so we give thanks because we have already been saved, because we have already been justified, because we already have peace, because we have already loved by Almighty God, then I can live like this and be thankful, not because I have to earn the favor of a capricious God, but because I'm loved by the God of the universe. And so be thankful, he says. Our part is to live in that gratitude. I heard a story last week about a young lady in our church. I won't point her out because she wouldn't like that. She's a high school student, and she and another high school a student in a high school who are Christians went to the chaplain and said, we'd like to kick off an alpha course. And they did. 16 kids went along to that alpha course. Out of that, they came back to the chaplain and said, we'd really like to start a Bible study group. The chaplain said, oh, let me think about that. Okay. They're getting kids to that group now who don't even yet know Jesus. What we do Monday through Saturday is important as what we do Sunday. One of our elders, John Smythe, every time we have our elders meetings, it seems like he comes along and we talk about different prayer points. He's always got a prayer point about someone in his workplace. This person needs a touch from Jesus. Because he realizes everything we do should be done in the name of Jesus. And so my question for each of us today is this. What does it look like for us to be part of a community here that is so driven by these virtues of caring for others that it can't help but end up flowing out to the world around us?
Jesus said, are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? Religion is where you have to earn God's favour. Religion is where it's exhausting. Grace is when you live out of the love that Jesus already has for you. He says, come to me, get away from, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. God loves the church. And he loves the church so much that he has called us into a mission to draw more people into it. Our invitation to you as we start this new year together of ministry is to consider what part you can play in that. We're not saying we have, we, you must do this, you must, no, 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 no. To be part of a church is, means to be known and needed. If we're part of a group where we are known but not needed, we've made it all about ourselves. If we're needed but not known, we're just a cog in a machine. But to be truly part of the community of the church, we need to be known and needed. Known through things like life groups where we're doing life alongside one another and needed where we are serving. There's a guy sitting over here named Charles. And I gave a very similar sermon, I guess, to this some months ago. And thank the Lord he speaks through me because he got to Charles. And Charles said, yep, I'll put my hand up. I'll start to serve on the car park. And I think the first day he was on the car park, maybe the second, a lady came to our church, this is months ago, a lady came to our church who has coming off some extreme tragedy in her life. She later told me that she came to our church that day because she couldn't think she was running out of ideas. And she had known a couple of people in our church and she thought, well, I'll give that a go. As she came through the door, uh, came through the gate and came down the car park, Charles spotted her and said, how are you? And she started to cry. He said, would you like a hug? She said yes. But later on, a few weeks later, she came to know Jesus as saviour. And when I asked her what made what started that journey for her, she said it was the day that Charles saw me and saw what I needed, and he gave me a hug. When we step out for Jesus, when we look beyond ourselves, eternity gets changed. That's what we're inviting you to. And so today we are asking you to consider, do you want to join a life group? Do you want to join a ministry team? Do you want to join in together as we show Jesus to our community? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the plan you have for the church. Thank you that you love the church. Thank you that you use the church. Thank you that you are growing the church. Thank you that you have a plan and we are sorry for the times we have just got it so very badly wrong. And yet you continue to work your purposes out. And so today, Father, we commit ourselves as your people in this place to look beyond ourselves, to see the other, and to show Jesus to them.
for it's for his praise and in his name that we pray. Amen.